Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every week to defend and to promote public education. That's education which is open to all children, and therefore it must be free. And we'll be talking about the concept of free education, which just doesn't seem to be in the public eye at the moment today, but it is a very fundamental uh, idea that has been around in Australia for a long, long time, and it is part of our children and our grandchildren's inheritance. We have a website. That's at www.adogs.info, and here is our press release 733. Keeping up with the Joneses. Private school education is going to crack the 500,000, that's half a million, barrier. Now, there's a ritual in Australian media reports on education. It's January. So it's back-to-school commentary and time for the rising costs ritual. Right on time, the Murdoch Press obliges, with information on the rising costs of private and so-called free public education for parents. This year, the facts and figures are especially poignant for aspirational parents struggling with rising house prices, stagnant wages and an economy suffering stagflation and decline. Financial Services Group, ASG, which provides the education loans to parents and grandparents, They've done a nationwide survey. Now, the dogs are not claiming that this, these figures are pristine or without um, any kind of uh, marketing strategy, but they are of interest. Now, the ASG have done this nationwide survey of more than 13,500 families. And they've found that overall, private education costs have jumped as much as 61% over the past decade. In faith-based schools, notice the term faith-based schools. Costs have increased as much as 54%. The average cost of putting a child through private school in a capital city has been forecast to top 475000 while Sydney and Melbourne families could see their education bills reach almost 550000 Public school costs have also risen substantially. Melbourne is the most expensive city for public education, according to ASG, where the cost of educating a child from kindergarten to year 12 is estimated at $75,000, 13% higher than the national average. The survey asked parents to estimate the costs associated with their children's education, and these included tuition fees and levies, uniforms, books and stationery, travel technology, excursions, camps and extracurricular activities. 
And uh, there's more uh, from the Murdoch report in The Australian uh, at the end as a footnote to our press release. And that came from The Australian of the 16th of January 2018. About bang on time, because in another week or so, the children will be back at school. I think it's the 29th, 30th of January they have to go back to school. Now, the figures, these figures are actually not very good for business. They might be good for the business of ASG, but they're not good for the business of private schools in Australia. So the Independent Schools Council of Australia have questioned the data, claiming that it risked representing the cost of independent schooling. Council Executive Director Colette Coleman said the independent school costs varied greatly, with the majority of them much more affordable than modelling like ASGs suggests. Now, these figures may persuade parents and grandparents, of course, to pay money into an ASG loan fund, but they may also persuade them to shop around for value for their educational buck. And it's not unsurprising that the local public school has become a definite option for many middle class as well as disadvantaged parents who can't even contemplate getting a house, let alone even paying the rent or um, paying 550000 over a school lifetime for their children. Yes, Jane. But pity... Pity Australian parents who have forgotten to fight for perhaps the most precious inheritance they can give their children, namely a free education. Whatever has happened to this noble ideal? Yeah, I was just going to say, Jean, that ASG have actually made a critical error as far as I'm concerned at this stage. ASG, as you're quite right in pointing out, have been coming out with these figures Year on year on year on year on year for about, oh, oh, I don't know, over 10 years. It's a standard thing to do. The principle from their point of view is that they want people to buy their product and their product is a scholarship fund of some sort so that parents, when the child is born, put their money away with ASG so that they can then afford the cost. Now, they've made the assumption, and I think it's an assumption that was perhaps true but now is no longer true, is that all parents obviously desire to send their child to a private school, by definition, because this is Australia. And in Australia, if you love your children, you send them to a private school. This is the basic assumption. So the more you can make these people, these aspirational parents, afraid, the more money they'll give you if you're ASG. That's right. However, that is now no longer true. Parents will look at those figures and go, Oh, stuff that for a bunch of monkeys. I'm, 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 I'm bugging out. Is there a good state school in the area? Oh, yes, there is. So I'll go and send my child there. And if there isn't, these aspirational types will then go and buy a house in a catchment zone or rent a house in a catchment zone so that the good school will be available to their child, the good state school. Now, later in the program, I'll be reporting on exactly this as it's happened in New South Wales. But ASG have miscalculated They've ramped up the fear by saying it's going to cost all this amount of money. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. It does cost half a million dollars to educate a child in a half-decent independent school in Australia. There's just no question about that. Well, that was what I was arguing. It's a marketing ritual. Yeah. We're, we're used to this every year. But the ritual now has... It's, it's a double-edged sword. I think they're doing it and they're ramping up the fear because perhaps their market share, playing off the fears of aspirational parents, is diminishing. 
And so therefore, I think this will actually accelerate their decline in terms of their market share of getting aspirational parents' money off them. That's my take on it, Jean. Um, Here I am offering financial advice on the DOGS program yet again. But I think if you look at it, that used to be what they went, the way they went about their business, to make parents afraid so that the money goes into their hands. Um, but these days, parents are waking up. Now, the figure about state schools is inflated. And actually, again, that figure, which is higher than you'd expect to educate a state school child from prep to 12. Oh, just by the way, um, the figures for the private schools, they did not specify that was prep to 12. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. so they might not even be comparing apples with apples. It would be worth going into the data for that. But um, having said that, what you're talking about here is what they call good schools. Certainly in, in Melbourne, there's a lot of good state schools in Melbourne, and those good state schools in Melbourne actually have recurrent parent, parent contributions of anything up to $4,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Normally for technology-based initiatives which, you, which your child can buy into. Mm-hmm. The assumption is, of course, if you're sending your child to a good state school, it's in a good area and therefore all the parents can afford because they've worked it out. They've gone back to the state system and gaming it in that way. I'll be talking about this whole process later from an interesting school in Sydney later in the program. But please continue, Jane, because this is very interesting. I'd like to hear more. I don't want to um, put down in some sense the fact that at this time of the year, after the Christmas rush and so on, parents are looking at their bank balances and worrying because they are. And I think this is terrible, and I, I think that uh, we should actually pity the parents in this nation who do pay taxes, most of them, and we all pay taxes. And we have lost sight of the fact that our children's inheritance should be a free education and a free health system. These are basics. These are basics for, a na- for the national commonwealth, common wheel the good of the nation, of our people, if people matter, rather than profits and uh, dollar figures. Now, the um, people do matter, even to the Australian, they write in. Uh, The thing about the internet is that people have the opportunity to uh, vent their ideas and so on, and uh, you can find out how they are reacting, and the Australian has done this. So, We're going to uh, just read out some of the comments to the article about the 550,000 barrier in uh, school feeds. So uh, I'll start off and um, reading the different comments and uh, Dale will help me. Now one man called Robert, there you are Robert, uh, a gentleman called Robert, not our Robert, uh, had this to say, why the pretense that Catholic schools aren't private. You might remember that uh, in the article from The Australian there was uh, reference to faith-based schools. That's what ASG calls them, faith-based schools. So why the pretense that Catholic schools aren't private? It's a bit like the ACU, that's the Australian Catholic University, and Notre Dame, which were founded via a Victorian, Queensland and Western Australia Acts of Parliament respectively, They're private universities. They only exist so that Catholic institutions, that's schools and so on, can employ only Catholic educated from kindergarten to PhD staff. Many private schools are just ripping people off and there's no difference where you went to school when you get into your adult life. 
And Ian has a comment. Uh, he says, has anyone tallied up the costs payable by new Australians to private colleges to secure selective school placements at private tutoring colleges? Although they don't pay private school fees, they must be paying sizable amounts to avoid paying subsequent school fees. Maybe we should just improve our public school system so fewer families will not need to avoid these public schools. Yeah, I, I think what Dale's referring to there, in really simple terms, is that certainly in New South Wales, but more and more in Victoria, um, a large number of immigrant populations who highly value education have zeroed in on the fact that you can get to a selective state school if you can succeed at the entrance exam in either Year 7 or, in some places in Victoria, in Year 9, places mm -hmm. like McRobb and, and okay. Melbourne High. You get in at Year 9. And so what they're doing is they're sending their kids off to these private tutoring colleges, basically academic boot camps. So these kids are boning up to do the entrance exam for a selective public school, uh, which, of course, they don't pay fees for in the same way as, mm. as, as a normal public school, mm. and avoid their local public school. I think what they're saying is why not just put the money <laughs> into the public school so this whole process becomes moot? I mean, you know... I'm sending my child to the local state school because it's as good as any other school, by definition. Mm -hmm. uh, these are uh, parents who believe that they have gifted children. <laughs> no, uh, actually, no, no, Jane, not necessarily, just because within a lot of immigrant cultures, education is so highly valued that if something is on offer that is perceived as better, you just go for it in, 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 in educational terms. Um, this is this is the fundamental basis of the education system in Singapore, and in Hong Kong, and indeed in Shanghai, China. Mm. This this competition. It's Functionally, the idea is if you get your child over the dead bodies of other of other children and they win, that is in fact the win. The fact that it's a zero sum game um, is 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 not important. That's actually someone else's problem. Now, you know, this is just competitive practices put into place an educational marketplace which in Australia has been systematically encouraged for mm. generations now mm. Malcolm has, has some interesting comments and we'll hear a bit more from him. He points out that the estimates of the ASG people of the cost of education are no more indicative of the actual cost for 90% of the population than buying a new Mercedes is indicative of the cost of buying a car for 90% of the population. The reality is that for 90% of families with kids in private schools, the cost is nothing remotely like the figures quoted. If you want to spend that much, you can if you go for the absolutely most expensive options available. But nationally, and also in New South Wales, as it turns out, 70% of some independent schools charge tuition fees of less than $10,000 per year, and 40% are less than $5,000 per year. And they can do that, of course, because they get so much money from the government. That's not going to cost you anything approaching even half of the 500k being cited, regardless of the additional associated costs. So to produce these figures, he claims that ASG has surveyed its own existing customer base, asked them to estimate what they think their child's schooling has or might cost, then grouped the responses and highlighted the biggest numbers in their promotional material to produce the most shocking figures to ensure that they get the headlines. They're big scary numbers but next to meaningless and not at all representative of the vast majority. 
It's a clever marketing strategy by ASG to scare people into thinking they need to buy their product. It's unfortunate that so much of the media laps it up and it gets reported as fact when it's actually highly misleading. And Andrew responds to Malcolm by saying, Malcolm, you're not suggesting that public discourse is manipulated for private gain, are you? Who'd have thought it? And Roy has this very, very simple thing to say. They're pricing themselves out of business. Well, it's a question of who's pricing themselves out of business. I think some private schools are doing just that. Uh, Ambrose Raven replies... Is that a government-driven cost too? Recall yesterday's article, Rising Cost of Essential Services Putting the Squeeze on Homes. Private school websites boast that secondary education, that the secondary education they can provide will lead students to prosperity. They seem less keen on acknowledging their massive public subsidies. Such schools will never Going, were never going to be accessible to ordinary families. Hard right ideologies know that and are undoubtedly pleased. Ordinary families are finding just paying ordinary household bills and mortgage repayments due to finance, due to the financial com- commoditization of housing enormously difficult. Then Minister Abbott for Education Pine's own comments regarding the massive expansion of fee gouging by tertiary education providers demonstrate the hypocrisy of the private school subsidy gouges. He argued that 60% of Australians who did not go to university were subsidising the 40% who attended, yet those who don't attend private schools are subsidising those who do. Yes, well, Malcolm's not too happy about um, that idea. Uh, he says that Ambrose Ravens, care, would he care, care, care to quote some of the massive public subsidies that the higher fee schools supposedly receive? Well, the dogs have been doing that for a long time. In fact, um, they do get quite a lot, but it's mainly the so-called faith-based schools that are getting anything up to 90% and 110% of their um, funding from the government subsidies. Uh, Mark says, compare these elite schools with some of our struggle state schools and tell me that Australia is not a class society. Kevin responds, we have three kids in a private school and 60% of our post-tax income gets directed to school fees, worth every cent and more. However, it's time for innovation in the model to empower parents to make decisions. Why not a system like the public-private health, where public schools can admit students as either public, prescribed curriculum, or private, access to options? Families make the choice about the extent to which they invest and the model in which they invest. Well, that, of course, is what Mr Pine and others are wanting to impose on the public system. They want everything to be private with user pays. Thatcherism at Mm. its extreme. Mm. And that is what we must fight for. Otherwise, our children will never receive uh, an education and the devil take the hindmost. Mm. Dean says, save your money, folks. Our daughter went through the public system and left school with the highest exit mark possible. She's happy and studying in the area she desired. We are $500,000 up and have bought her 
a new car. Patrick responds to Dean saying, lucky you had a good government school available. Not all parents are so lucky. And Dean says some parents send their children to private schools because of their own needs and not those of their children. And Matthew says, I'm a retired teacher after, this is a a view from a retired teacher after 32 years in the public education system. Some great public schools are out there. Plenty I would send my my kids to with little or no problem at all. However, there are some shockers out there and no way would I allow my children to attend. What can influence a great school from a poor one? Principals can make all the difference. A great principal is out there in the playground during recess and lunch and in between lessons. Back one's, backing one's staff also helps. School political operators. Shocking thing for a school. These are the people who drive teachers out of school. Usually, they, usually they've stayed at the school for so long they think they are the school. I've seen some great staff leave due to bullying from these types. It does matter the type of ch- what type of kids are living in the area. If they value the education, then likely the school will do as well. Parents, the government is scared of parents. However, meet the parents and you will understand the child. Supportive parents help. If parents believe in back education, the child will do well. You can pick a school by the way the kids behave before and after school. That usually tells you a lot. And then we have the, the, old, the old chestnut. Brett says, how would the public system cope if there was a flood of children shifting out of private? <laughs> if you go straight to Andrew. Andrew says, nationalise the buildings. Hell, the Anglican Diocese of Bathurst have a fi- uh, is having a fire sale. I'm sure others are in similar straits. Yes, up at Mandu, <laughs> I think the government should have bought the, um, the Acacia College. Uh, Andrew, um, and Malcolm comes back, and how would you propose to do that? The government couldn't afford to buy them, as well as pay, pay full total odds for every child's education in the public system. Uh, well, that, of course, is now a question. If we're paying billions and billions of dollars for the private schools, perhaps we should uh, be looking at um, rationalising our public system and take them over. Uh, yes, Andrew has this idea. Mm. Yeah, Andrew says, one, nationalised by Act of Parliament, and two, you assume that I'd see the demise of independent schools, and that's quite wrong. Yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I just add, yeah, totally. add to that, because I think it's really interesting. This, this argument's been going on for how long, Jean? The sort of if you take over the oh. private schools, everyone loses? 1964. Okay, so it's been going on since 1964. I'll give you the figures and, and just talk about behavioural economics just for a little bit too. The way it works is this. You can talk about Catholic, you can talk about independent, you can talk about what is it, faith-based and all that sort of stuff, but there's basically two types of private schools in Australia. I don't really care what religion they are. They are the low-fee private schools and there are the high-fee private schools. Now, the low-fee private schools um, don't charge the parents very, very much money and... You know, between five and ten thousand dollars a year for a child, for instance. And it's costing more to keep them than um, the yeah. public schools. Just, just, just. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jean. One hundred percent correct. Those schools are being subsidised by the government on a dollar for dollar basis, compared to a public school. So, for every dollar a public school gets, a dollar goes to a low fee private school. 
Get that? Every dollar that goes from a public school, there is a dollar now. And if you look at the work done by Chris Bonner and Bernie Shepherd last year, it's down there in black and white. It's got to the point where the private, the low-fee private schools, it's not a system because this is across systems, it's across Catholics and, 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 and independent schools. If you go to the outer suburbs of Melbourne or Sydney, you'll find Christian-based colleges of all sorts charging between five and $10,000 per kid. But also, those schools are getting dollar for dollar what the state school down the road is getting. So, so that five to ten thousand dollars is sheer top up money. That is sheer sort of unfair advantage money that, that the parents are paying for. Mm. So, they're the low fee private schools. And if you nationalise those, you don't lose any money because you're paying for those kids anyway. Mm. So the amount of money that you would have spent on the child, which we're now spending now on, on the child in that private school, we would spend the same amount of money if they were in a public school. The government, the taxpayer, me, Dale, Jean, all of us, there's, there's a net benefit of zero in terms of dollars and there's a net benefit of plus a 1,000 in terms of social equity and the ability for all children in Australia to have a, an equal opportunity through their education. Okay, so they're the low-fee private schools. As well as the low-fee private schools, there are the high-fee private schools. Now, these schools are not academically selectively entry, but they are selective entry. You have to go on a waiting list before your child is born to get into MLC or Scots or Trinity or, or St Kevin's. Or get a scholarship. Truth, truth, you all get a scholarship. Now, these schools do not charge between five and $10,000 a year as top-up money. These schools charge anything up to $30,000 a year per child. Now, it is true that those schools are also subsidised by the government, but not to the same level as the low-fee private schools. So MLC, for instance, met <coughs> the Methodist Ladies College up there in Burmid, one of the most exclusive high-fee private schools in Melbourne. Just to take that as an example, but this is an indicative example, they charge between twenty-eight and thirty-five thousand dollars a year to send your child there, depending upon whether they're in prep or whether they're in um, year twelve. But it's very high fee. They get subsidised per child about six thousand dollars per year, so less than. So, but they still get an extra six thousand dollars from the government to send that child to that school. The parents do, subsidised by the government. Now, if you were to nationalise the education system in Australia and say, okay, just take them all over or you won't get any money, so the MLCs of the world will go, screw you. We won't take any taxpayers' money. We will educate our children in this school, the parents and us. We will get together and do that. We will do all the right things like they are now, but they'll do it without taxpayer subsidies. Now, that is... I mean, I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to say this, Jane. That is anti-egalitarian. That is a class system. There, there are people who have a certain amount of money and, and they will only send those children to the high fee because it, it's, it's part of a world out there in the inner east of Melbourne. I catch glimpses of it from time to time um, and I've worked with people from it. They're the sort of people who tell you what school they went to in the first two minutes of a conversation. Oh, I want to talk when about you, an old when boy you first one of these them. schools later. Well, <laughs> I, I'm sure you do, Jane, but I'm just saying that these high fee, and there aren't as many of them. I mean, you know, there's, there's probably about 100 around Australia. These high fee exclusive private schools. Now, Jane can tell you about the ones in Sydney. I can tell you about the ones down here in Melbourne. I've worked in them. 
They, when, once you get inside them, they are extraordinary. I mean, some private schools in Melbourne have their own private baristas in the staff room. I kid you not. This is, this is a different world out there in, in the middle of Melbourne that most people don't know about. If you nationalise, if you say no more money for you, those people at those exclusive high-fee private schools will say, yeah, fair enough. Who cares? We'll just keep going and doing what we're doing. And that, to the taxpayer, would be a net saving because I guarantee you the enrolments of Scots College are not going to fall if you take their taxpayers' money away. The enrolments of MLC are not going to fall. Their waiting list is not going to get any shorter. So you would actually, for high-fee-paying schools, if you nationalise education and you take their money away, you make a saving. You just take the money away and bank it. So you save that. For the low-fee private schools who are getting paid dollar for dollar, you're not losing any money. So this whole argument put forward, is it Malcolm, was it, put forward this argument yeah. that if you, that if the poor over, overcrowded state schools wouldn't survive? No, we'd actually, there would be a net win, mm-hmm. functionally a net win, and the net win could actually go to supporting Indigenous and regional and remote education, which, of course, has only ever been done by the state sector anyway, mm. and to support that, or other courses that will benefit the education of all the children of Australia. So, Malcolm... What you're saying probably made sense sometime around the mid-80s, hasn't made sense since the 90s, and now you're just plain wrong. Mm. Sorry about that, Jane. Yes, you're quite right. Um, Anthony agrees with you. He says the, bit, the beginning of the school year and this old chestnut does the rounds again, and we've already said in our press release um, uh, that 733, that uh, it's a ritual, isn't it? The data's dicey, to say the least, and the survey is undertaken by a firm with a vested interest in making it appear that education costs are out of control. But private education's a privilege, not a right of the middle classes. Pay up and shut up or go to your local government school. And uh, Augusta has yeah. got... Augusta to... says that uh, spending all that money on private education is a waste. There are just as many options to broaden a child's experiences and horizons in the public system. If a parent is worried about broadening a student's horizons, surely they should take more personal interest in doing so rather than passing the responsibility to someone else at a huge expense. Homer says... Why do we continue to accept being at the low end of the world education standards at the high end prices? David says, in real terms, it seems that if we put our five children through the best private schools, it would have cost about 30 years of our household income before taxes, mortgage payments, food, lollies, holidays and so on were paid for. And Peter, oh well I suppose the GPS term, team can lean a little more on their Chinese benefactors. After all, they have all the money. The rise... Liz, yeah, Liz weighs in and says the rise in fees is eye-watering. However, the reasons advanced for it are skimpy and, in my view, not really the issue. This article does not deal with a key factor. The question of teachers' remuneration, direct and indirect, is worthy of a dedicated article. The impact of teachers' remuneration packages, especially in independent schools, is hardly understood even by the councils that approve the increases. Yes, well, of course, they're paid so many um, extras, aren't they? The 
the teachers in independent schools. And one parent said, well, she liked the private schools because they didn't have a teacher's union. Well, of course, the Catholic teachers do have a union and they're starting to actually learn a few things from the teacher unions. But thanks, Dale. Um, I think we'll have a bit more music. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. That was from the album Sybil's Giggle. That was Wally Wally, for those people that know. An old English photo. An old English folk song, I should say, not a photo. <laughs> folk song. The water is wide and I can't get over. Well, in this struggle against inequality in education, the water is wide, but we will get over because um, we just have to keep fighting because <laughs> the fight needs to be done because there's such terrible things going on. Now, we've been talking about the money. I mean, we've had uh, various divergences and people having various points of view and not necessarily recognising how the world has shifted to a world of money and stupidity when it comes to education in Australia. But we can talk about morals as well. I mean, what does half a million dollars of private school education buy you? Now, many private schools say, well, we, we, have, we have values in our school. Values, I, I think listeners will be familiar with this. It's called the values debate. State schools do not have values. Private schools do. And so the reason I'm spending money on sending my child to a private school is that I want them to have the best values. But Jean's come across something quite interesting that relates specifically to this and specifically to Essendon and Penley Grammar, a very expensive and exclusive high-fee private school in Melbourne's inner west. Yes, uh, um, in, in, the whole, in the whole area of law, in consumer law, uh, we're thinking about this with the so-called banks, commi- uh, the Commission of Inquiry into Banks, and um, financial advisors and others that have taken poor people down and have um, winkled money out of uh, older people or people who've got a bit of money. And um, there was a very interesting scam, and it has been dealt with by legislation, but this this particular gentleman worked out that when there was a lot of demutualising of um, companies, uh, sorry, of demutualising of mutual uh, groups in the 90s, uh, there were a lot of older people who had shares in the new corporations who didn't know what to do with their shares. So he had a very interesting scam in which he persuaded all these people to sell their shares at much reduced prices. He made 
on a very conservative estimate, about 30 million out of this. And when some of the people woke up what was happening, he'd just take them to court. Uh, now, there was quite a lot of about this uh, back in 2003 to 2012. He changed his name. I won't say what his name is. It's just a very interesting case of a dog-eat-dog mentality, which, in fact, you, you get out of... Um, a school system where the devil takes the hindmost, um, that we're actually not in a common wheel where the, the, the good of other people actually matters and where there are actually standards or codes of behaviour which a lot of us have taken for granted or a lot of us do take for granted. Uh, without even being religious, there is the idea that you do to others as you would have done to you. Um, so this, this is just a very interesting um, example of what you can produce, uh, what kind of human being you produce out of a private system, which in fact has right at its very base the idea that you select people on the basis of what they can pay and the devil take the hindmost and the, the uh, hindmost are there to be exploited. Now when this gentleman... Um, was taken to court. The journalist asked him questions and um, when he, they, they said you can call him names but he takes it as a compliment and it cost him outside his home or place of business and he laughs it off. As the share market predator, because that's what they, they call him, uh, once said to one of his victims outside a courtroom, I didn't do morals at school. And I think that says it all. Well, perhaps it needs, does need a little bit of explanation. He's saying that he didn't learn. He's, there, there was no moral teachings or values taught at his school. And so, therefore, his, um, his, um, his, his actions were a product of his education. Is that right, Jan? Mm. Or say that he's trying to blame his education. I don't know. Mm. That ethi- I don't know. Ethics just never was a part of the curriculum. Yet. Well, yes. I mean, having spent some time at various... Um, business schools around the country, you can see where all the graduates come from and where they end up and I can tell you that the devil take the hindmost is should be written over the should be written over the gate <laughs> of most business schools because that's the fundamental prison, pre- premise of many young young undergraduates in well, business, a lot of business, un- business schools in yeah, Australia Also in, in, le- in law departments where they're doing tax law um, my memory is that large number of the people that I studied tax law we, we thought that um, uh, well they thought that the bonds and the spaces of this world they were going to be their patrons and they were going to work out how to find as many loopholes as possible and this gentleman did that, he found a loophole in the legislation with the demutualisation process and um, he persuaded the unwary to uh, give him their money Yes, thank you very much Jane. Um, look we're going to have another little break, listen to some more music I think after that I don't know, unsavoury tale um, and we'll come back with of course something to cheer us up state schools are great schools, after the break we'll be talking about Epping Secondary College, a nice little place out there in Melbourne's north, doing a very good job with the students they have after a bit of music
Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We're doing state schools are great schools. Can talk about Epping Secondary College up there in the north. Shout out to all the people in the north around there. Now, the Epping Secondary College is a very interesting place. Um, it's in one of the great growth corridors of Australia, certainly one of the great growth, growth corridors of Melbourne. Um, there are schools popping up all over the place. It's wedged in there in between Ivanhoe Grammar and... Um, Oh, I haven't heard grammar and uh, some other um, uh, Seventh-day Adventist schools and there's a Catholic school up there. Basically, on in the growth corridors all around Australia, private schools are sending, setting up campuses as lost leaders. They're losing money because they want to be there when the suburb comes. And in doing so, um, they're making sure they're squeezing out the potential for any um, state school. But before all that happened, back in the olden days, there was a place called Epping, which was pre-growth corridor and there's a school up there a secondary college has been there for ages in fact it was established in 1976 the Epping Secondary College it's a nice place it really is I've been there it's um, always a good school well what's happened is because the private schools have been doing all this loss leading stuff they've been offering discounts to parents to sort of top up their enrolments so you get things like Ivanhoe Grammar, which have obviously a campus in Ivanhoe and, and various other ones, and they have a campus out of Moondra as well, which is a loss leader. So the school doesn't make them any money. In fact, it loses money, which they then sort of try to claw back from the government, which is us. But in doing so, they're trying to poach all the nice kids, all the good kids from, from, from the local state school. So Epping, an interesting school in itself, um, has a very interesting SES distribution. 3% of the kids come from the top quartile and 50% of the kids come from the poorest quartile of children in Australia. Now, I can tell you that's not the profile of the suburb. The profile of all, all the places around Epping and Burnder and South Morang and all those places, pretty much standard for Australia. You've got rich people, you've got poor people. No one's really rich, no one's really poor, I suppose, although those sorts of things get hidden on, from, on the street. Um, but it is you know, about as typically mixed mixed multicultural everyone piles in has a nice time that's kind of what the that's kind of what the north of melbourne is like it's good and it's bad in its own particular ways but it's kind of it's a mix but at epping secondary college um half of the kids come from the poorest quarter of families in australia another 33 percent come from the lowest middle quarter which means of the kids in the school you've got around about 85% of them come from the, from the poorest half of Australia. Do you know what? It's not their fault. I don't even care. In fact, that really shouldn't be mattering when you're talking about educational outcomes, but unfortunately it does in Australia, which I think is a disgrace. So how are the kids doing? Well, when it comes to the NAPLAM results, they're fine. <laughs> Compared against all similar schools, they're absolutely fine. They're not particularly brilliant, but they're not particularly bad. But bear in mind, this school has had all the rich kids stripped out of it. All the rich kids have been stripped out on scholarships to loss-leading private schools around the area. When people talk, when Jean talks about devil take the hindmost, we're talking about Epping Secondary College. Epping Secondary College takes what many people would call the hindmost. But you know what I call them? I call them the best. I call them the quality because that's what they're doing up there at Epping Secondary College. They're taking... 
they're taking, because they're a state school, anyone that turns up at their door. They're children. They're our children. They're our children. They're my children. They're your children. They're everyone's children. As far as Ivanhoe Grammar is concerned, no. Our children are something very specific and exclusive. But as far as Epping Secondary College, our children is anyone who turns up at their door. Now, I'm talking about values now. <laughs> Back to the values debate. And I'll be talking about sort of religious values in a little bit. But I thought Epping Secondary College is worth a note because we talk about, you know, devil take the highmost. Where do the highmost go? Some of those highmost end up at Epping Secondary College. And while they're there... They do outdoor ed and music and performing arts and mentoring and they do leadership training and they do all this stuff across the curriculum. They have personalised education plans in the middle years programs and they have extension options and also support options if that's what they require. And, you know, how much does all of this cost? How much does this school cost the community? Well, if you've got a socioeconomic profile where 85% 85% come from the poorest half of Australia. You would expect on an SES basis that these kids would be getting a bit of extra money for their education from you and me, the taxpayers. In fact, I'd be happy to pay that because if you give these kids, kids a head up in life, then you won't be needing to support them because they've already jumped off the, well, the devil take the highmost bandwagon and they're succeeding in life because that's what a good education can give you. How much does this cost you and me? Well, remember... $14,000 is about what it costs to advocate to educate the average kid. How much are they getting paid here? $11,500 per kid per year at Epping Secondary College. And I tell you what, that is less government money, less government money than the kids at Acacia College get down the road, which is the private... Gilson College now. Oh, Gilson, that's right. It's the Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist. That is less money to educate those kids, less money to educate those kids in the private school than it does to educate those kids in the private school down the road, purely on taxpayers' money alone. So so the private school is getting more tax dollars per child than the public school down the road. And it's one of the most exclusive. Yes, yes. Well, I think you have to be Seventh-day Adventist to go in there, yeah. which is all about religious values and discrimination, which I'll be talking about in a minute. But that's what Epping Secondary College is doing, and that's what they're doing it with. Cut to the bone. Efficiencies, you want to see an efficient school in motion? Go to Epping Secondary College. If you're a politician and you want to talk about efficiency and effectiveness and accountability, Epping Secondary College is accountable. Not just to you and me, the taxpayer, but to their local community. Epping Secondary College is effective because they're giving their kids a good education. And Epping Secondary College is, is, is efficient because they're doing it on less than $12,000 a year per kid. And it takes at least 14 to give a gold standard education to anyone. Give them more money, I'd say. Oh, I tell you what, imagine, imagine what the, imagine these kids would sing, these kids at home, these kids would be the leader of Australia if you gave them another $3,000 a year. Ah, oh, they've got teachers whose blood's worth bottling. It is. And it's, that's, that's actually, um, it's not just in this generation. That goes back into the 90s. There were some very good teachers up there always. Yep, and there still are. So congratulations. And so this, this week, Epping Secondary College is our great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Jim was saying I'm enjoying myself. Enjoying myself is a funny thing to do here because what I'm about to tell you it makes me just feel a little bit sick in my stomach. And I don't, I don't enjoy that. Now, within the context of education, we always talk about private schools being parasitic. Because they are, they are functionally parasitic on the, on the state school system. They pick, they choose, they charge, and they take money straight directly from consolidated revenue, directly from taxpayers. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to say something a bit mean about a state school. And it's up in Sydney. And there's been reports, and it's, it, it's true, because this is, this is a phenomenon that's happening in the capital cities of Australia. And it relates to this concept of the good state school. The good state school. The good state school is the state school where people spend money, extra money, to buy a house in the catchment area for the good state school, as opposed to the bad state school. And in fact, in the comments that Dale and Jean were talking about in the relation to that, to that, to that Australian article, there was a question of, well, it's all right for you. You've got a good state school in your area. I don't have a good state school in my area, so therefore I have to send my child to a private school. Now, I've got one thing to say before we go any further. If you say that you don't have a good state school in your area, sort it out. That's a political problem. That's not a problem that you can buy yourself out of and then have your neighbours go to hell. Devil take the hindmost. If you don't have a good state school in your area, that's not just a problem for you, that's a problem for everyone in your area. And therefore it becomes a political problem. That's why I think the people in um, in Melbourne have done such a good job in making sure that the, the state schools, the secondary schools that Mr Kennett closed in the 90s are now opening again. They have been prepared to battle to get their services back into their community and all power to them. Uh, and you know, we think that their blood was worth mm. bottling too. Well, up in New South Wales, all is, all is not particularly well. In one of Sydney's newest schools out in the foothills of the Blue Mountains, it's called the Ponds High. Now, a friend of mine has worked here, so he, he knows about it from the inside. Now, it's just three years old, and it doesn't actually yet have year 11 and 12 students because they haven't had the sort of flow-through effect of, of, of the 7s and 8s and 9s that enrolled three years ago. But it's already probably concerns that the New South Wales Department of Education has underestimated the swelling enrolments in public high schools. Now, the North West School in Sydney was designed for 1,200 students when it opened with its first core cohort of 180 Year 7 students all the way back in 2015, which is to say not very long ago at all. But enrolments have been soaring when the school returns at the end of the month. The Ponds High will get 320 Year 7 students in 2018. That's this year. Now, enrolment figures show that the school grew from 180 students in 2015 to 453 the next year and then 850 last year. The oldest students will go into year 10 this year with two more year 7 cohorts to start before it is full complement of students. Now the school's PNC president, Roland Dupree, said the school needed an urgent infrastructure plan to deal with looming overcrowding crisis. If nothing is done immediately, by 2023 we will need 50 demountables to put all the kids in the school by 2023. With student enrolments potentially reaching 2,200 by 2023 and a limited capacity to accommodate any buildings on the school grounds, parents are concerned that the Department of Education is making it up as they go. 
Primary schools have been battling an overcrowding crisis for several years in the northwest of Sydney, but the issue is now hitting the high schools with the baby bonus generation. I hadn't heard this phrase before, but it's the baby bonus generation. Not baby boomers, the baby bonus generation is starting now to hit secondary schools. A Fairfax analysis found at least 10 local government areas in Sydney are facing a boom in their high school age population. Now, Mr Dupree, who was, just to remind you, the president of the PNC up there at that school, whose son Pascal is going into year 10, said parents wanted to plan for the school and had been urging the New South Wales Education Minister, Rob Stokes, the department and local MPs, to listen to the community's concerns. This plan must ensure that our limited land is used wisely. It must effectively manage the footprint of the temporary demountable classrooms and plan for permanent school buildings to accommodate the future generations of students that we know will be coming through this school. Now, a spokesman for the department said the school had 20 vacant classrooms in 2017, and almost one in five students were out-of-area enrolments. Now, I was going to go back to that. One in five of these new students are out-of-area enrolments. The department is aware of local residents' development local residential development and is undertaking planning for high schools in the area. Currently, according to the department, a project is underway to provide a new permanent classrooms at nearby Riverstone High School, which has 25 vacant classrooms in 2017, and this will increase local enrolment capacity. Riverbank Public, which shares the site with the Ponds High, has also opened in 2015, is being upgraded to provide 14 new classrooms, expanded administration areas and covered an outdoor learning area and extra student facilities. The Riverbank project is expected to be finished by early 2020 and the upgrade to Riverstone High School by mid-2020. Now, the opposition spokesman up in New South Wales said, oh, they're putting developers before infrastructure and says some other things. And they also go on to say, you should not be thinking about demountables just three years after a school will be built, so they're just taking negative things. But the important information here is... This new school, the Ponds High School, has a strict uniform policy, has brand new buildings and has the look and feel of a good public school. And so therefore, one in five of their enrolments are not from the local area, they're coming from other places. Where are they coming from? They're coming from Riverstone High. Riverstone High has 25 vacant classrooms at the moment and I will tell you the enrolments for Riverstone High are falling. Riverbank Public has enrolments which are falling and the Ponds School enrolments are rising. So you have three schools, all servicing the local area. One is a good school and considered so by aspirational parents and the other two are being shunned because students from from the Riverstone High catchment are going to the Ponds School. So what is the solution? Is the solution build 20 demountables at the Ponds or is the solution is to make Riverstone High School an equally attractive option in terms of education. This is the stupidity of mendacity. You have two schools. One is the, well, I don't know, I mean, you probably don't get this reference. One has a star on its belly and the other one does not. Everyone wants to go and to the star Billy, star Billy Sneech School, and nobody wants to go to the Sneech School with no star on its belly. Robert was brought up with Dr. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> What it is that people think they want is now driving what it is that we, the taxpayers, have to fund. They've got, they've got the chairs, they've got the desks, they've got the teachers too. All you have to do is make Riverstone High. Spend money on Riverstone High. That's how you solve the problem of the Ponds High School. 
build a brand new, sexy-looking building that all the aspirational parents go, that's nice, you build it at Riverstone High, they'll all go there. Behavioural economics, it's a crazy business up there in Sydney. And if you don't think that's happening in Melbourne, you're dreaming. All I have to talk about is Richmond High School. Appearances. Appearances. It's sad, isn't it? Appearances matter, but they're also deceptive. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's been great to have your company, but if you do want to contact us, you can get us, of course, on our website, www.adogs.info. But until then, it's bye for now. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill It's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never